Section 64 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Chapter 64. Interview with Sheridan. Grand Movement of the Army of the Potomac, Sheridan's Advance on Five Forks, Battle of Five Forks, Park and Wright Storm the Enemy's Line, Battles Before Petersburg. Sheridan reached City Point on the 26th day of March. His horses, of course, were jaded, and many of them had lost their shoes. A few days of rest were necessary to recuperate the animals, and also to have them shod and put in condition for moving. Immediately on General Sheridan's arrival at City Point, I prepared his instructions for the move which I had decided upon. The movement was to commence on the 29th of the month. After reading the instructions I had given him, Sheridan walked out of my tent, and I followed to have some conversation with him by himself, not in the presence of anybody else, even of a member of my staff. In preparing his instructions, I contemplated just what took place, that is to say, capturing five forks, driving the enemy from Petersburg and Richmond, and terminating the contest before separating from the enemy. But the nation had already become restless and discouraged at the prolongation of the war, and many believed that it would never terminate except by compromise, knowing that, unless my plan proved an entire success, it would be interpreted as a disastrous defeat. I provided in these instructions that, in a certain event, he was to cut loose from the Army of the Potomac and his base of supplies, and, living upon the country, proceed south by the way of the Danville Railroad, or near it, across the Roanoke, get in the rear of Johnston, who was guarding that road, and cooperate with Sherman in destroying Johnston. Then, with these combined forces, to help carry out the instructions which Sherman already had received, to act in cooperation with the armies around Petersburg and Richmond. I saw that after Sheridan had read his instructions, he seemed somewhat disappointed at the idea, possibly, of having to cut loose again from the Army of the Potomac and place himself between the two main armies of the enemy. I said to him, General, this portion of your instructions I have put in merely as a blind and gave him the reason for doing so, heretofore described. I told him that, as a matter of fact, I intended to close the war right here, with this movement, and that he should go no farther. His face at once brightened up, and, slapping his hand on his leg, he said, I am glad to hear it, and we can do it. Sheridan was not, however, to make his movement against Five Forks until he got further instructions from me. One day, 
after the movement i am about to describe had commenced and when his cavalry was on our extreme left and far to the rear south sheridan rode up to where my headquarters were then established at dabney's mills he met some of my staff officers outside and was highly jubilant over the prospects of success giving reasons why he believed this would prove the final and successful effort although my chief of staff had urged very strongly that we return to our position about city point and in the lines around petersburg he asked sheridan to come in to see me and say to me what he had been saying to them sheridan felt a little modest about giving his advice where it had not been asked so one of my staff came in and told me that sheridan had what they considered important news and suggested that i send for him i did so and was glad to see the spirit of confidence with which he was imbued knowing as i did from experience of what great value that feeling of confidence by a commander was i determined to make a movement at once although on account of the rains which had fallen after i had started out the roads were still very heavy orders were given accordingly finally the twenty ninth of march came and fortunately there having been a few days free from rain the surface of the ground was dry giving indications that the time had come when we could move on that date i moved out with all the army available after leaving sufficient force to hold the line about petersburg it soon set in raining again however and in a very short time the roads became practically impassable for teams and almost so for cavalry sometimes a horse or mule would be standing apparently on firm ground when all at once one foot would sink and as he commenced scrambling to catch himself all his feet would sink and he would have to be drawn by hand out of the quicksands so common in that part of virginia and other southern states it became necessary therefore to build corduroy roads every foot of the way as we advanced to move our artillery upon the army had become so accustomed to this kind of work and were so well prepared for it that it was done very rapidly the next day march thirtieth we had made sufficient progress to the southwest to warrant me in starting sheridan with his cavalry over by dinwiddie with instructions to then come up by the road leading northwest to five forks thus menacing the right of lee's line this movement was made for the purpose of extending our lines to the west as far as practicable towards the enemy's extreme right or five forks the column moving detached from the army still in the trenches was excluding the cavalry very small the forces in the trenches were themselves extending to the left flank warren was on the extreme left when the extension began but humphreys was marched around later and thrown into the line between him and five forks my hope was that sheridan would be able to carry five forks 
get on the enemy's right flank and rear, and force them to weaken their center to protect their right, so that an assault in the center might be successfully made. General Wright's Corps had been designated to make this assault, which I intended to order as soon as information reached me of Sheridan's success. He was to move under cover as close to the enemy as he could get. It is natural to suppose that Lee would understand my design to be to get up to the south side and ultimately to the Danville Railroad as soon as he had heard of the movement commenced on the 29th. These roads were so important to his very existence while he remained in Richmond and Petersburg, and of such vital importance to him even in case of retreat, that naturally he would make most strenuous efforts to defend them. He did on the 30th send picket with five brigades to reinforce five forks. He also sent around to the right of his army some two or three other divisions, besides directing that other troops be held in readiness on the north side of the James River to come over on call. He came over himself to superintend in person the defense of his right flank. Sheridan moved back to Dinwiddie Courthouse on the night of the 30th, and then took a road leading northwest to Five Forks. He had only his cavalry with him. Soon encountering the rebel cavalry, he met with a very stout resistance. He gradually drove them back, however, until in the neighborhood of Five Forks. Here he had to encounter other troops besides those he had been contending with, and was forced to give way. In this condition of affairs, he notified me of what had taken place, and stated that he was falling back toward Dinwiddie, gradually and slowly, and asked me to send Wright's Corps to his assistance. I replied to him that it was impossible to send Wright's Corps because that corps was already in line, close up to the enemy, where we should want to assault when the proper time came, and was, besides, a long distance from him. But the second, Humphreys, and fifth, Warren's corps, were on our extreme left and a little to the rear of it, in a position to threaten the left flank of the enemy at Five Forks, and that I would send Warren. Accordingly, orders were sent to Warren to move at once that night, the 31st, to Dinwiddie Courthouse and put himself in communication with Sheridan as soon as possible and report to him. He was very slow in moving, some of his troops not starting until after five o'clock next morning. When he did move, it was done very deliberately and on arriving at Gravelly Run he found the stream swollen from the recent rains, so that he regarded it as not fordable. Sheridan, of course, knew of his coming, and being impatient to get the troops up as soon as possible, sent orders to him to hasten. He was also hastened, or at least ordered to move up rapidly, by General Meade. He now felt 
that he could not cross that creek without bridges, and his orders were changed to move so as to strike the pursuing enemy in flank or get in their rear, but he was so late in getting up that Sheridan determined to move forward without him. However, Ayres's division of Warren's corps reached him in time to be in the fight all day most of the time separated from the remainder of the fifth corps and fighting directly under sheridan warren reported to sheridan about eleven o'clock on the first but the whole of his troops were not up so as to be much engaged until late in the afternoon griffin's division in backing to get out of the way of a severe cross-fire of the enemy was found marching away from the fighting this did not continue long however the division was brought back and with ayres's division did most excellent service during the day crawford's division of the same corps had backed still farther off and although orders were sent repeatedly to bring it up it was late before it finally got to where it could be of material assistance once there it did very excellent service sheridan succeeded by the middle of the afternoon or a little later in advancing up to the point from which to make his designed assault upon five forks itself he was very impatient to make the assault and have it all over before night because the ground he occupied would be untenable for him in bivouac during the night unless the assault was made and was successful he would be obliged to return to dinwiddie courthouse or even further than that for the night it was at this junction of affairs that sheridan wanted to get crawford's division in hand and he also wanted warren he sent staff officer after staff officer in search of warren directing that general to report to him but they were unable to find him at all events sheridan was unable to get that officer to him finally he went himself he issued an order relieving warren and assigning griffin to the command of the fifth corps the troops were then brought up and the assault successfully made i was so much dissatisfied with warren's dilatory movements in the battle of white oak road and in his failure to reach sheridan in time that i was very much afraid that at the last moment he would fail sheridan he was a man of fine intelligence great earnestness quick perception and could make his dispositions as quickly as any officer under difficulties where he was forced to act but i had before discovered a defect which was beyond his control that was very prejudicial to his usefulness in emergencies like the one just before us he could see every danger at a glance before he had encountered it he would not only make preparations to meet the danger which might occur but he would inform his commanding officer what others should do while he was executing his move i had sent a staff officer to general sheridan to call his attention to these defects and to say that as much as i liked general warren now was not a time 
when we could let our personal feelings for any one stand in the way of success, and if his removal was necessary to success, not to hesitate. It was upon that authorization that Sheridan removed Warren. I was very sorry that it had been done, and regretted still more that I had not long before taken occasion to assign him to another field of duty. It was dusk when our troops, under Sheridan, went over the parapets of the enemy. The two armies were mingled together there for a time in such manner that it was almost a question which one was going to demand the surrender of the other. Soon, however, the enemy broke and ran in every direction, some six thousand prisoners, besides artillery and small arms in large quantities, falling into our hands. The flying troops were pursued in different directions, the cavalry and 5th Corps under Sheridan pursuing the larger body which moved northwest. This pursuit continued until about 9 o'clock at night, when Sheridan halted his troops, and, knowing the importance to him of the part of the enemy's line which had been captured, returned sending the fifth corps across hatcher's run to just southwest of petersburg and facing them toward it merritt with the cavalry stopped and bivouacked west of five forks this was the condition which affairs were in on the night of the first of april i then issued orders for an assault by Wright and Park at four o'clock on the morning of the second. I also ordered the second corps, General Humphreys and General Ord with the Army of the James on the left, to hold themselves in readiness to take any advantage that could be taken from weakening in their front. I notified Mr. Lincoln at City Point of the success of the day. In fact, I had reported to him during the day and evening as I got news, because he was so much interested in the movements taking place that I wanted to relieve his mind as much as I could. I notified Weitzel on the north side of the James River, directing him also to keep close up to the enemy and take advantage of the withdrawal of troops from there to promptly enter the city of Richmond. I was afraid that Lee would regard the possession of Five Forks as of so much importance that he would make a last desperate effort to retake it, risking everything upon the cast of a single die. It was for this reason that I had ordered the assault to take place at once, as soon as I had received the news of the capture of Five Forks. The corps commanders, however, reported that it was so dark that the men could not see to move, and it would be impossible to make the assault then. But we kept up a continuous artillery fire upon the enemy around the whole line, including that north of the James River, until it was light enough to move, which was about a quarter to five in the morning. At that hour, Parks and Wright's corps moved out as directed, brushed the abatis from their front as they advanced under a heavy fire of musketry and artillery, 
and went without flinching directly on till they mounted the parapets and threw themselves inside of the enemy's line park who was on the right swept down to the right and captured a very considerable length of line in that direction but at that point the outer was so near the inner line which closely enveloped the city of petersburg that he could make no advance forward and in fact had a very serious task to turn the lines which he had captured to the defense of his own troops and to hold them but he succeeded in this wright swung around to his left and moved to hatcher's run sweeping everything before him the enemy had traverses in rear of his captured line under cover of which he made something of a stand from one to another as wright moved on but the latter met no serious obstacle as you proceed to the left the outer line becomes gradually much farther from the inner one and along about hatcher's run they must be nearly two miles apart both park and wright captured a considerable amount of artillery and some prisoners wright about three thousand of them in the meantime ord and humphreys in obedience to the instructions they had received had succeeded by daylight or very early in the morning in capturing the entrenched picket lines in their front and before wright got up to that point ord had also succeeded in getting inside the enemy's entrenchments the second corps soon followed and the outer works of petersburg were in the hands of the national troops never to be wrenched from them again when wright reached hatcher's run he sent a regiment to destroy the south side railroad just outside of the city my headquarters were still at dabney's sawmills as soon as i received the news of wright's success i sent dispatches announcing the fact to all points around the line including the troops at bermuda hundred and those on the north side of the james and to the president at city point further dispatches kept coming in and as they did i sent the additional news to these points finding at length that they were all in i mounted my horse to join the troops who were inside the works when i arrived there i rode my horse over the parapet just as wright's three thousand prisoners were coming out i was soon joined inside by general meade and his staff lee made frantic efforts to recover at least part of the lost ground park on our right was repeatedly assaulted but repulsed every effort before noon longstreet was ordered up from the north side of the james river thus bringing the bulk of lee's army around to the support of his extreme right as soon as i learned this i notified weitzel and directed him to keep up close to the enemy and to have hartsuff commanding the bermuda hundred front to do the same thing and if they found any break to go in hartsuff especially should do so for this would separate richmond and petersburg sheridan after he had returned to five forks 
swept down to petersburg coming in on our left this gave us a continuous line from the appomattox river below the city to the same river above at eleven o'clock not having heard from sheridan i reinforced park with two brigades from city point with this additional force he completed his captured works for better defense and built back from his right so as to protect his flank he also carried in and made an albatross between himself and the enemy lee brought additional troops and artillery against park even after this was done and made several assaults with very heavy losses the enemy had in addition to their entrenched line close up to petersburg two enclosed works outside of it fort gregg and fort whitworth we thought it had now become necessary to carry them by assault about one o'clock in the day fort gregg was assaulted by foster's division of the twenty fourth corps gibbons supported by two brigades from ord's command the battle was desperate and the national troops were repulsed several times but it was finally carried and immediately the troops in fort whitworth evacuated the place the guns of fort gregg were turned upon the retreating enemy and the commanding officer with some sixty of the men of fort whitworth surrendered i had ordered miles in the morning to report to sheridan in moving to execute this order he came upon the enemy at the intersection of the white oak road and the claiborne road the enemy fell back to sutherland station on the south side road and were followed by miles this position naturally a strong and defensible one was also strongly entrenched sheridan now came up and miles asked permission from him to make the assault which sheridan gave by this time humphreys had got through the outer works in his front and came up also and assumed command over miles who commanded a division in his corps i had sent an order to humphreys to turn to his right and move towards petersburg this order he now got and started off thus leaving miles alone the latter made two assaults both of which failed and he had to fall back a few hundred yards hearing that miles had been left in this position i directed humphreys to send a division back to his relief he went himself sheridan before starting to sweep down to petersburg had sent merritt with his cavalry to the west to attack some confederate cavalry that had assembled there merritt drove them north to the appomattox river sheridan then took the enemy at sutherland station on the reverse side from where miles was and the two together captured the place with a large number of prisoners and some pieces of artillery and put the remainder portions of three confederate corps to flight sheridan followed and drove them until night when further pursuit was stopped miles bivouacked for the night on the ground which he with sheridan had carried so handsomely by assault 
I cannot explain the situation here better than by giving my dispatch to City Point that evening. Boydton Road, near Petersburg, April 2nd, 1865, 4.40 p.m. Colonel T.S. Bowers, City Point. We are now up and have a continuous line of troops, and in a few hours will be entrenched from the Appomattox below Petersburg to the river above. Heath's and Wilcox's divisions, such part of them as were not captured, were cut off from town, either designedly on their part or because they could not help it. Sheridan, with the cavalry and 5th Corps, is above them. Miles's division, 2nd Corps, was sent from the White Oak Road to Sutherland Station on the South Side Railroad, where he met them, and at last accounts was engaged with them. Not knowing whether Sheridan would get up in time, General Humphreys was sent with another division from here. The whole captures, since the army started out gunning, will amount to not less than 12,000 men and probably 50 pieces of artillery. I do not know the number of men and guns accurately, however. I think the President might come out and pay us a visit tomorrow. U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General. During the night of April 2nd, our line was entrenched from the river above to the river below. I ordered a bombardment to be commenced the next morning at 5 a.m. to be followed by an assault at 6 o'clock. But the enemy evacuated Petersburg early in the morning. End of section 64. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Little Rock, Arkansas. Jim at jocclev.com.